In today's episode, we do talk about domestic violence, and we just wanted to let you know that there are options to help you if you are experiencing this. You can reach out to the Susan B. Anthony Project at 860-482-7133 or the National Domestic Violence Hotline at 1-800-799-7233, or you can text START to 88788. On today's episode of Homegrown Horror, we talk about a missing persons case, missing and murdered indigenous women and girls, and we also try and lighten the mood by talking about fair food and ice cream. Let's say goodbye to summer and welcome fall. It's spooky season, y'all. Hey there, welcome to Bee's Creamy Mounds! Oh, hey Bee! Oh my god, Jackson! Hey, how you doing? I'm doing great. Is that really the name? Do you not like it? Should it? I mean... Yep, you know what? The LLC's already done. We're done. Yep, so it's Bees Creamy Mounds. Yeah, welcome! <laughs> <laughs> well, what can I get you? Oh my god, so you made this? How long this take? This is amazing. Took a long time. Oh my god. I make all of my ice cream here. You do? I sure do. Oh my god, I had no idea about this. Like, um, what, what, what do you got? What are the flavors? Well, one of the best sellers right now is Market, market Price Mystery, which is a lobster ice cream with a bisque base. What? A bisque base? Yeah, like lobster bisque. What, like to the ice cream? Yeah. Oh my god, that sounds, I don't know, that sounds too decadent. I mean, what? how much does that have to be? Well, that's what. That's like the mystery, bucks. it's market price. I have a wheel back here, I spin it, and it's just like whatever, whatever you get. Oh my god, so... Uh, the I'm most like, I've sold it for is $40. I've, I'm seeing $40. I also see $1,000 on there. It's a tiny sliver, but it is there. It is there. Oh you know, if God. I can get it, I will make it. <laughs> I've also got Bullfrog Bonanza. It's a mint chocolate chip with some tadpole eggs. That one's not as popular, but uh, I think it could catch on. Uh, have you tried that? No. Okay. All right. Well, How about uh, this? Might this might be for you? Ghost ride the whip. It's rocky road with ectoplasm swirl. What? Whoa. Okay. So that sounds cool. What's the What's the ectoplasm? Trade secret. No. Uh, Trade judging, se- judging from the other stuff, I don't know. <laughs> There's also pumpkin land, which is literally just pumpkin. That's not ice cream. That. It know. doesn't matter. Pumpkin is great. Do you add sweetener? No comment. All right. Uh, how about this one? Deera goat's milk. This is our. Oh. This is our uh, dairy alternative. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I see. So goat milk. Yeah. No moose milk. What? Yeah, I get moose milk. That do- that doesn't make any sense. It's called deer goats. Moose are essential to Maine. Uh, have how do you? I didn't know you could milk a moose. It's really hard. Hello. Welcome to, to another, another episode, episode of Grown Horror. I'm Jackson. Thank you very much for uh, tuning in today. Is tuning in the right term? Tuning in, um, that's only what I can think of. Like, I don't think that there's a podcast specific term. Thank you for searching homegrown horror. Yeah, yeah, thank you. (laughs) We very much appreciate you uh, coming to listen to what we have to say today. All great things main related, if that involves murder, true crime, horror... Uh, supernatural stuff, general spookiness. Something fun about today. Uh, October 2nd. We're in the spooks. Oh, we're in Spooksville. And it's also uh, the kickoff of fall, which means it is fair season. (laughs) Uh, So yesterday, all of us, yep, Sans Jackson, Went to the Cumberland County Fair, and then tomorrow we are going to the Freiburg Fair, and I'm very sad because we will be missing out on the Common Ground Fair. What's the Common Ground Fair? The Common Ground Fair is in Union, Uh Um, and I think it's a little bit, it's a, I think it's a little bit bigger, but like, I know 
like <laughs> there are like big posters in our Whole Foods for the Common Ground Fair. Yeah. <laughs> um. So it's one of those things where like we've always really wanted to go, mm-hmm. but it happens to coincide with the beginning of the Freiburg Fair this year. Mm-hmm. So it's just not. I don't think it's gonna happen because you know things are still really busy. For us getting settled in and my work got really busy because <laughs> um, we are starting to prep for the end of the year. Well, you got to go to, you're going to go to two fairs for the fair season. Oh, so. boo. Boo-hoo. I only get to do two out of the three that I planned. <laughs> yeah, yeah. What did you really enjoy about Cumberland County uh, Fair though? So I got to get, okay, I... <laughs> The bunnies are always really cute. Oh, the bunnies? Yeah, that's... I have really... I also have memories of, like, being attracted to the bunnies when we went when I was younger. Mm -hmm. I remember being like, I'm going to go spend all my time looking at bunnies. I also really liked seeing the chickens because I play Stardew Valley now and I am obsessed with my chickens. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Do they do, like, any exhibitions, like butter sculptures or weird (laughs) stuff like that? We saw some ginormous pumpkins. Giant pumpkins. We saw giant pumpkins. We did Uh go to the sugar house and we got a bunch of maple-related goods. We saw horses. Um, And it was actually really fun. I like to watch the rides. Mm Mm-hmm. Because I don't necessarily trust the ride. You don't want to ride the zipper? (laughs) Uh, I watch a lot of theme park YouTubers, so I've seen a lot of bad shit happen. I think that's really... um, I like county fairs or like fair rides um, because of... Yeah. You know, it's like as you're riding it, you can see the screws rattling around and you're like... "Mm, this. Are you going to go on one tomorrow? I got to go on one. If they have a zipper there... Um, then I'm definitely going to be riding that because I love the zipper. Maybe I'll go on one with you. The zipper's fun. Because I know I know Emily and Allegra will not even look at them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, no. I and I totally understand it. They do not have a quality presentation to them. No. And they're not meant to be that way. These have been operating probably since like the 30s. Well, yeah, one of the ones at the fair yesterday, I'm fairly certain uh I wrote it with our friend Anna. I want to say back in like 2008. Oh, wow. I am yeah. almost 100% certain that it was the same ride. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs> I, I carved my initials into this seat. Yep, still there. Yep, still there. <laughs> but I am really excited. Um, today's a little rainy, so I'm hoping tomorrow will be better weather. But I am happy that thing it has started to cool down in general because we can pull out our fall stuff. We got to pull out Allegra's Halloween cardigan. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> the cardigan is out and you got the Halloween decorations up. You got the projector ghost. Yeah, we have a projector out on our front porch and it's really cute it's some ghost uh with some pumpkins on their head <laughs> <laughs> the spooks are upon us and i hear uh today's episode is not really um not chipper no it's not chipper so it's like perfect for the the weather so let's crack into it so this is i i really wanted to cover this case with everything with a lot of the stuff that's a lot of the discussion that has been going on around the Gabby Petito case. Mm-hmm. Um, and so today I am going to bring you the story of missing Maine woman Virginia Sue Picto Noyce. And I want to begin with some information that I found on Native Women's Wilderness. As of 2016, the National Crime Information Center has reported 5,712 cases of missing American, Indian, and Alaska Native women and girls. Strikingly, the U.S. Department of Justice Missing Persons Database has only reported 116 of those cases. Whoa. The majority of these murders are committed by non-Native people on Native-owned land. The lack of communication combined with the jurisdictional issues between state, local, federal, and tribal law enforcement make it nearly impossible to begin the investigative process. Indigenous women are murdered 10 times higher than all other ethnicities. Murder is the third leading cause of death for Indigenous women, according to the Center for Disease Control. More than four out of five Indigenous women have experienced violence, according to the National Institute of Justice. That's 84.3%. Mm-hmm. 
51, uh, 56.1% of indigenous women experience sexual violence. 55.5% of indigenous women have been physically abused by their intimate partners. 48.8%, which is just a little under half of indigenous women, have been stalked in their lifetime. Indigenous women are 1.7 times more likely than Anglo-American women to experience violence. And indigenous women are two times more likely to be raped than Anglo-American women. And the murder rate of indigenous women is three times higher than Anglo-American women. Wow. That's... Wow, that, I'm really bummed out. I think we can just end here. That yeah. was... Jesus so, Christ. Uh, these are things that I want you to keep in mind as we move forward. And also as you move forward, the, uh, a lot of our listeners move through the true crime world, this is a very important thing to keep in mind. Yeah, I, I get that. I'm, I'm just shocked right off the bat by these figures. Like, And you're saying it's because it's a jurisdictional issues that investigations aren't able to happen and people seem to understand that, meaning people are more prone to get away with these crimes. Yes, and a lot of times it also comes with um, something that I'm going to talk about a little bit later, but just there is a general lack of interest and lack of care around missing and murdered indigenous women and girls. <sighs> well, so, let's, uh, let's get in. So, All right. <laughs> Virginia Sue Picto Noise is a member of the Mi'kmaq Nation, and was born to Robert Picto and Susie Isaac Gould in April of 1967. Virginia was one of 13 children. <laughs> um, wow. And according to her sister Agnes, girls were very rare in the family and she had always hoped for a sister. Based on my understanding, most of the 13 children were boys. I, I, I'm i not sounds sure. Like it, yeah. I think she and Agnes were the only girls in that family. It sounds like it, just from that statement. 13 kids. What are they, Catholic? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm not sure. The sisters were close. Virginia and Agnes actually had their first children 28 days apart. Mm. And so they they were very close. They enjoyed their first pregnancies yeah, together. They, yeah, they planned those together, obviously. Absolutely. <laughs> her brother Francis remembers her as being protective of all of her younger siblings. And he said that he would she would not hesitate to stick her nose in their business if someone was messing with her brothers. Awesome, yeah. Classic, uh, uh, you know, classic sister taking charge, you know. Virginia dropped out of school at age 14 when she found out that she was pregnant. Oh, wow. Okay. She had three other children before she married Larry Noyce. The two of them had three children together. Okay, pregnant at 14, other children, and then married to Larry. In October 1990, it was shortly after she had had... Okay, they had six children at this time. So shortly after the, uh, the birth of her sixth child, a fire broke out in the family's trailer in Fort Fairfield. Virginia was able to save four of her children. Oh, wow. But was unable to reach Ashley Sue, age two, and Jesse James, 17 months, oh before the gosh. house was engulfed in smoke. That's awful. Three years later, Virginia gave birth to another baby girl. They lost, so they had six children. Yeah, sons after two. this baby girl, and then, yeah. Yeah, and then she, yeah, so she's they have five children at the time of her disappearance. Mm. While having lost two children, according to Agnes, Virginia was also abused by Larry over the course of their marriage. Oh Virginia, my gosh. Yeah. Virginia tend to, tended to lean on her sister, who was a social worker and a spiritual leader for the Aristic Band of Micmacs and Presque mm. I do also want to make a note. Um, I said Mi'kmaq earlier, and that is the more... Uh, correct pronunciation micmac is the is the americanized the americanized version okay but that is what they are called i looked it up they're still called the aristic band of micmacs okay they're cool with micmacs yeah i just want to put right. an asterisk on that that is not me fucking up <laughs> yeah no same same yeah. tribe guys yes. <laughs> so in so she is a spiritual leader and a social worker in presque isle where's, she, where's presque isle sorry presque isle is in arista county Okay. So it's up. And we're back in Aristic. We're back in Aristic. Yeah, yeah. Damn it! To mention, we're back in Aristic. Virginia tried leaving her husband multiple times, but would always come back to him. Agnes notes that it was a cycle of abuse and, I'm so sorry, baby, I won't do it again. Which... This this we, sounds like really... Yeah, no, this is very much aligned with an abusive relationship, especially with the fact that 
pregnant at 14, stuck with this guy, and, like, it's just a cycle. Kept kept on down. I'm not saying that... No. Necessarily the children are used as a, as a means to keep her around, but, like, it... The, so many kids. It's also probably pertinent to point out, I think it's... Women are... I think it's women most of the time won't leave until the fourth time they try. Mm. And after each time, their percentage of being murdered goes up each time. With each leaving. With each time they try to leave. I mean, But usually, yeah. it's, I think it's after the fourth time is when most women are successful. Mm. It's so... It's frustrating, it's unfortunate, and it's one of those things where you feel fairly hopeless and fairly stuck because you don't know how to help them. In this instance, she had Agnes, who she knew what she could do to help, Mm -hmm. and she tried to the best of her ability. Yeah. The abuse would be the inciting incident that may have led to Virginia's disappearance. Mm-hmm. So, it is April 27th in 1993, and Virginia and Larry are in Bangor with Larry's brother and another friend. They end up at a tavern, and chaos broke loose. According to Virginia's brother, Robert Picto, Larry ran up behind her and jump-kicked her out the door. Whoa. She fell on the pavement face first, and he jumped on her. He pinned her down. He put his knees on her arms and proceeded to beat her. Her brother-in-law came after him and kneeled down next to his brother and proceeded to beat my sister in the face. Okay. He just got way too drunk? What's going on? He He's was just leaning into his abusive tendencies? He was... Reports say that all four of the people were severely intoxicated. I don't give a fuck. I don't care if Virginia was intoxicated. She didn't deserve this. It doesn't fucking matter. It doesn't yeah. matter. No. But yes... At the very least, Larry was intoxicated. The police come, they break them up, and Larry is arrested for domestic violence. Virginia is taken to Eastern Maine Medical Center to treat her injuries. Unfortunately, Larry made bail Hmm. and was released. And according to the Charlie Project, I couldn't confirm this with anything else, Mm -hmm. but Larry and his brother, Roger visited Virginia in the hospital and were the last people to visit her that night in the hospital. Oh my god. That's nuts. What And what is the Charlie Project? The Charlie Project is, I want to say a database that has missing persons okay. cases. It was, an excellent, it was an excellent resource. They had a lot of details. They had a lot of other resources, people you can contact. So I recommend using them if you are looking to for more information. That being said... Before her exam was completed, Virginia left the, f- the hospital to go home to her f- five children. Mm-hmm. A gunshot victim had arrived by ambulance and the staff had actually turned their attention to him, which gave her an opportunity to leave unnoticed. Okay. It was around 1 a.m. when she left the hospital and her children were in Easton, which is two and a half hours away from so, Bangor. So she has a long haul after recovering from being physically... Like, yeah, you know, not even recovered. Yeah. They not, have yeah. not... They have not discharged her. Her mm-hmm. exam is not complete. They were not going to let her leave. Mm. But she, she... just left on her own? Yes. She felt she needed to get home to her children. Well, she's dedicated. Yeah. The police are relatively certain Virginia was able to find a ride to Holton, but she was still about 45 minutes away from home. The last known sighting of Virginia was at a truck stop in Holton, where she made various phone calls to see if anyone could pick her up. From here, where Virginia went is a mystery to this day. After his wife's disappearance, all charges were dropped against Larry and his brother in relation to the assault. Because they couldn't contact. Yeah. Yeah. Since that night, Larry claims that not only did he have nothing to do with Virginia's disappearance, but also that he never hit his wife. Motherfucker. In 1994, Larry was arrested for operating a motor vehicle while under the influence of intoxicating liquor, driving after license suspension, driving to endanger, and failure uh, failure to stop for an officer, and violation of bail conditions. So, he fucked up. (laughs) (laughs) He ends up serving a one-year sentence, and the Bangor Daily News goes... A one-year sentence? 
for, for all of that, yes. Uh. The Bangor Daily News interviews him, and he says, They said I hit Virginia, which I never did. Everyone thinks I killed her. Let them think what they want. I know what is true. What I want to point out is, A, at least two of Virginia's siblings claim that she reached out to them while Larry was abusing her. And B, someone did beat Virginia that night, enough that the attending staff at the hospital didn't want to let her discharge her until she had a full exam, and Larry was the one that got arrested for it. So you can do the math. I am not making any... I did not hit her. Yeah, I am not making any accusations. I'm just saying, see what I see. (laughs) You know? I've got eyes, man. (laughs) I have eyes and they don't lie. Neither do these hips. Larry also claimed later on that Virginia ran away. And that she left a letter saying that once she would return once her children were grown. According to Agnes, this didn't happen. It's a very sad story, but I think it's her youngest daughter um, on her 18th birthday was hoping that her mom would come back. And she said that would be the best birthday gift she could ever have. Obviously, that didn't happen. You're going to make me cry, dude. Despite the claims of innocence, Larry and Roger were both considered suspects. Also, given their criminal records, which also included burglary, vandalism, and arson... Larry claims that Virginia was romantically involved with Roger at one point and may have been the father of one of her children. Neither were ever charged with anything in regards to the disappearance, but Larry apparently did take a polygraph, which... Bad. Yeah. <laughs> polygraphs are unreliable. No, We they, know that now. Yeah, we understand that when you put a person into the stressful situation of getting, you know, tied to this machine... It's really just reading how nervous you are. It, it totally is. So take that with a grain of salt. But apparently his answers were less than truthful. Even with the possible motive, the two men died before the truth could be determined. Roger died in 2009 and Larry died in 2018. It's like a horse doing math. It's like, oh, wow, hmm, he might not be honest. Yeah, like everything else. Uh, yeah, yeah, I don't think we should trust this guy on any any word here no not at all i don't think we should trust him i don't trust him and we're about to throw a wrench into this <laughs> so <laughs> buckle up <laughs> in 2017 roger's son ryan noise suggested that he knew what happened to virginia mm. in a facebook conversation with jamie lee owens he said that three people including his father were involved in virginia's murder uh-uh. he didn't say disappearance murder he said murder he also claimed that there was a truck that was involved with the murder and it was burned in a bar in easton barn not bar (laughs) i think i said bar (laughs) (laughs) it was burned in a bar in easton and uh everyone Um, didn't really pay it much mind mind. it was like just another tuesday (laughs) oh they brought another truck in (laughs) oh bar rescue needs to come do this one (laughs) He said, I don't think there's anything left to be found. Well, I mean, there's a burnt out truck. That's something. Again, well, these guys are playing a little smarter than the last story we did. You know, at least they burned it inside of a building. (laughs) Jamie Lee Owens is a Fort Fairfield native and she grew up around the family. She's assisted with the search for Virginia for years. She had reached out to Ryan because she had heard through the grapevine that Ryan had mentioned to a friend that he knew what happened to Virginia. So she just took it as she was like, I'm going to give this a shot. We're going to see what happens. If he says something, we might have something. If not, then boohoo. So she gave, sent him a Facebook message. It says that she like did the little wave thing. He <laughs> waved back and she asked, what do you know? All right. And he said, I know three people are involved, and my father is one of them. Hmm. According to... Oh, go ahead. I just find it interesting that, like, he's not approaching the police with information. He's going to press for this. It's not press. Oh, CBC. Wait. Well, so CBC's reporting on this. According oh. to them, they reached, oh, they reached, no, you're good. they reached out to him and he said he didn't want to talk about it anymore. It was 20 years ago. He refuses to say anything else. Okay. 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 
Okay. So he said this to Jamie. Jamie brings it to police and police. And then the police. Okay. Sorry. I... Nope. You're fine. Turns out that he actually did make this claim to meet Snape's state police mm-hmm. in the past. So when Jamie brought it to them, they're like, we know this. Mm-hmm. We went to East End. We tried to find the barn. I don't, they didn't, this article did not say if they found anything, but at the time it seemed like they were continuing to look at the lead since it surfaced again. Mm-hmm. This was back in 2017. I I could not find any other updates. No worries, yeah. So my thought is... We, we have, at this point, that we have like more information and that there is some kind of lead or there an is. understanding from Ryan that he knows more than what we were previously led to believe. Absolutely. Shortly after the family were presented with this information, they actually testified in front of the Membertoe First Nations in Sydney, Nova Scotia. Hmm. A series of hearings, uh, there, it was a series of hearings related to a national inquiry on missing and murdered indigenous women. Virginia's family believed she was met with, that she met with foul play. And they testify that they believe she is murdered. Mm-hmm. While the family, I think, is hopeful that they will find out what happened to her, it does not appear that any of them believe she is alive. At this point, no. Yeah. Yeah. By 2019, the family hired a private investigator as they believed that Maine does not have enough resources to investigate cases of missing people. Many of Virginia's family live in Nova Scotia. And they've noted how they are unable to ask their own government for help because she disappeared in Maine. What they can do is continue telling her story and asking for information. There's a Facebook page, the search for Virginia Sue Pick Do Noise, which is still active. And Virginia is still considered a missing person by the state of Maine. And this is interesting because the tribe is located in Nova Scotia. It's like, okay, it's past our jurisdiction to be able to look into this. Mm-hmm. Like, I did want to give the contact information. If anybody has any information, you can contact the Maine State Police Major Crimes Unit North, which is uh, 198 Maine Avenue. And that's Maine as in the state of Maine. Bangor, which is 04401. Telephone number is 207-973-3750. Or you can also call toll-free at 1-800-432-7381. I think that is important for me to leave that there since... And I'll put it in the description mm-hmm. of the episode because she's still missing. Yeah. Or at the very least, her remains are missing. Mm-hmm. In 2019, Maine's first National Day of Awareness for Missing and Murdered Indigenous Women and Girls... MMIWG was commemorated at the State House with a meeting of local tribe leaders, indigenous community members, advocates, and included were the Wabanaki Women's Coalition, the Maine Coalition to End Domestic Violence, the Tribal Domestic and Sexual Violence Advocacy, Advocacy Center, and Maine Coalition Against Sexual Assault, as well as Representative Raina Newell, who represents the Passamaquoddy Nation in Augusta. It highlights the state and national movement to recognize the extreme lack that is given to cases of indigenous women and girls, lack of interest, lack of information, lack of resources, lack of care, lack of respect. And we've discussed this personally, but not really formally um, here on the podcast, but I wanted to highlight it. Um, There's a term that is used called the less dead. Sage reference describes it as a term coined to refer to the majority of serial murder victims who belong to marginalized groups of society. They lack the prestige or power generally to come from the lower socioeconomic groups. With everything going on, like I said at the beginning, with the Gabby Petito case, I just want everyone to remember that in the last decade in Wyoming, where Gabby disappeared, over 710 indigenous women went missing. And their cases do not get as much coverage. These women deserve to have their stories also told. Their families deserve closure. Yeah. So do so does Virginia's family. And we do see it a lot where you can sort of compare 
the amount of resources put into each of the cases. And I gave you all the statistics before. There's a lot to change, and I said it last episode. It seems bigger than us, but the more research you do, the more advocacy we have, you can do small things. Yeah. I'm not saying that you need to go out and like change the world. No. But at least edu- like education is so important. I wasn't even aware of any of these statistics or how uh, just targeted indigenous women are in this country. I mean, I knew that indigenous peoples were targeted and, you know, are a vulnerable population. And the jurisdictional boundaries between tribal areas and federal zones and, like, following up on certain cases, they're so backwards. And, like, there's so many murders that do happen on indigenous lands because people know that there's Mm -hmm. likely not going to be follow-up in these areas. And it's also difficult if it is a non-native person, they're not technically a part of that jurisdiction. Sometimes they're like, well, you can't handle that because it's out of your jurisdiction because they are not part of the tribe. Or it's hard because it, it. I definitely feel like these tribes should be able to act autonomously and have governance of their own land, mm-hmm. which in Maine they do mm-hmm. for the most part. My understanding, indigenous people that live here in Maine will have a better idea of how it actually works. Yeah, of course. But it suddenly opens up this gap. Yeah. In which all of these cases are able to just fall into it. Mm-hmm. And that is the case of Virginia Sioux Pictou. Yeah, we don't have any closure at all. Just the word of Ryan that he has some kind of inkling of like where things are going but no follow-up yeah as far as I know no follow-up um like I said there's hasn't been a lot of news generated around it since 2019 and I'm not surprised with the amount of cases that are unsolved they're just it's they're treating it like numbers they're not going to go ahead and spend the resources to follow up on this right and, i mean i don't i also did not look up how many open missing persons cases there are in maine but i assume that there is quite a bit because we have a lot of wilderness mm-hmm. i i mean I, in the in the, and what you're reading to me alone they said that they went ahead and hired a pi yeah, because, because they are like Maine doesn't have the resources to. Yeah, one of her brothers those. said they say that they're working on it, but we never get any updates. They're not working on it. It's incredibly sad yeah. that these missing people become numbers. Yeah, it is so disheartening. And, and oh, go ahead. I, I'm sorry. <laughs> it's just like I, I'm just so upset about like Virginia and having to deal with being in her abusive relationship tied down you know obviously she cared about her children and mm-hmm. we don't really talk about it here like the the dynamic between the children and larry but i doubt it's positive <laughs> yeah there's not a whole lot of discussion around that it's mostly just she was a good mom yeah And I think a lot of her children were fairly young because something that her sister Agnes kept saying was they don't have a lot of memories of her. Yeah. I got it. Yeah, because, I mean, her first child, she had her first child at 14 and she died at 26. Mm -hmm. Died, disappeared. I am more inclined to believe her family that she is most likely dead. I do not believe Larry's story at all that she went off that she disappeared she ran away and would come back when her children were older it seemed like that may have been larry's way of being like let's not talk about it for 18 years yeah just to kind of throw it off completely Mm -hmm. and you know they get to the end of that 18 years and he's just like oh well i guess she didn't show up i also really don't understand what happened because the former Sheriff of Aristic County said he's the one that said that the polygraph showed that he was lying. Yeah. And, and then this is back in the and this is that. right, this is back in the nineties. There appears to be no follow up whatsoever. 
it really does from what I've seen the documentation I've seen it seems like Larry was just able to like fuck off mm-hmm. and I mean he ended up back in jail in 1994 which is less than a or a little over a year because I think it was in did I, I say June in any event a little less than a year he's back in jail mm-hmm. he has a criminal record I think he warrants more investigation but it seems like they didn't really talk to him beyond that even though the family i think believes that he was responsible in some way shape or form i honestly believe he's responsible in some way shape or form because it's just it just seems too like it seems there's a part of me that's like it feels like this case is literally being given to them on a silver platter (laughs) We don't know that. We don't know that. But, the, but there's a part of me, like a, this this sort of just instinctive part of me that is like, yeah. No, we, we this got is the, not difficult. We have the strong relationship, yeah. But the, the I know. fact is like we don't have... We don't. We don't. We don't have the tie that brings them to her last known location being the truck stop, yeah. right? Yeah. Calling for a ride. We don't know if she reached out to Larry for anything. We don't know what's happening. I think the other thing that is interesting is her family doesn't seem to corroborate that last sighting. Really? And I'm saying emphasis on seems. Everything that I saw. Because it says that she made some calls, but it doesn't appear that anyone stepped forward and said, yes, she called me. Hmm. Was the statement from Larry? It was just, it was a witness sighting. Okay. Someone said, I saw someone that looked like her. Okay. Gotcha. So that is something that sort of does tickle a part of my brain that wonders, did she make it that far? Because also, Larry may have seen her, like went to see her at the hospital. Mm -hmm. If she left the hospital, like was he waiting for, like... We also don't know. No one came forward and said they were the ones that drove her to Holton. No. If no that's really does. her in Holton. Also, um, I'm kind of curious about this. So Ryan says that he had more information about a truck being burnt in Easton. Mm-hmm. How does he not have any more information to provide? Like, it may again. He said it's for like this info. This happened 20 years ago. I don't want to. He talk just doesn't want to. 20 anymore. years ago, as of 2017. So yeah. I just don't want to talk about it anymore. Okay. I definitely think Ryan knows stuff. It I don't... The fact that he's not talking to media, there's a part of me that's like, that makes... We talked about it before in the Wesley episode where, like, what is... What could be the end game for someone coming forward with information? And you, we said it was just like, oh, to get on TV. To, but if he's n- not... Like, he told a friend and he told this to Jamie. And then he refuses to talk about it anymore. Mm-hmm. But we know that it's him that has the information. But now that's almost, what, four years ago? Mm-hmm. And the police haven't... They may have followed up on it. I just am wondering why Ryan would lie. I, I mean, I don't think he's lying either. Um, and yeah, there's no end game as far as, like, why would he lie about this just to waste people's time. Um, but also I just find it interesting that he's not willing to talk about this anymore. Um, but because to me, if you have information, what is it to you to provide the information? Like at the end of the day, this is talking about closure and it's talking about justice. And That's maybe entirely worth your time. Maybe he talked to the police about it and doesn't For, want to talk to the media about it. Cause no, I get it. Yeah. But, like I said, he said, I don't want to talk anymore about it. To CBC. Mm-hmm. But that doesn't mean that if the police came to follow up, he would say, I don't want to talk about it. I, I, and again, like, I feel like he should be more confident to go ahead and talk to the press because I feel like the press would be able to follow up in some capacity better than the police are doing. He did also say three people were involved. Yeah. Both Larry and his father, Roger, are dead. Mm-hmm. He never said that Larry was another another person involved no he He said three he said three and my father is involved who else (laughs) 
When did Larry die? Uh, 2018. Okay. He died of liver failure. And not saying karma, but he also died homeless. Well. He did not. His his life did not get better. Sounds like his kids didn't want to deal with him. I don't think so. Yeah. Thanks for bumming me up. Yeah. Again, this with this (laughs) one, I think this is the first one that we've done that has has no closure. Absolutely none. No, we don't have any, um, yeah, there's no justice and no closure to any of this. Um, we just have to sit with this and like also knowing that what 5,000 cases currently of missing persons unsolved for indigenous, for women indigenous and women and girls. Yeah. No, life isn't uh, life doesn't get happy endings. No, unfortunately not. <laughs> But I did want to also, I really wanted to cover this case because I do think that oftentimes Maine's indigenous population, because a lot of them are so far north, we pretend they don't exist for some reason. I mean. Well, we could like extrapolate further than that. I could extrapolate on that, but (laughs) like. What do we care about Yemen? What do we care about what's happening in people in Afghanistan? I know. know? So it's. It's a world away. <laughs> it, it it does feel like it, it definitely feels like it's easier to say it's a world away, and we see it, we see it with a lot of cases even in our own country. Mm-hmm. But again, I just ask everyone to obtain knowledge, become an advocate, do what you can, because again, I know it's life is rough. This these past few years have been rough. Don't. You don't have to overextend yourself. You don't have to change the world. But what you can do is worth it. And if you are someone that is facing abuse in a relationship, please seek out the resources to help you. I'll probably put some resources for that in the show notes as well. Absolutely. There there are lots of resources available, but if uh, if you are facing abuse and in a bad relationship and are looking for resources or ways to help you exit that, please go ahead and reach out to the Susan B. Anthony Project and the National Domestic Violence Hotline. Organizations like these will be able to connect you with or with resources to help you exit and help guide you through other counseling groups and other supports for you. Um, it is, it's tough to make that choice, but you know, you don't want to end up like Virginia. All right, so you got a mainism for me? Hey, hey, it's a mainism. Oh, yes, I do. Uh, in my um, subtle nod to uh, talk about certain businesses and maybe snaggle us a little sponsorship, maybe. <laughs> Okay. Uh, I'm talking about um, you, something actually, yeah, it is unique to Maine. Giffords. Giffords ice cream. Okay. Yeah. So this is like a Maine brand. Yes. Have you interacted with Giffords anyway? I worked at, uh, I used to work downtown on Old Richard Beach in, in the big candy store. Oh, yeah, you did. And I, I, yes, we had Giffords. Yeah, yeah. Just kind of a essential summer yeah. treat. We are in fall. But. <laughs> so you're like, let me just let yeah, me bring yeah. us back to this this something to give us a little bit of a positive experience. People love Giffords out here, and yeah, they seem to have like a bunch of stores just kind of popping up. Honestly, Giffords has been doing better <laughs> since um, Shanes of Maine used to sort of be the one that everybody used like sea dogs used their ice cream for the mm-hmm. sea biscuit the sea dog biscuits oh yeah yeah and then um some things were said that were very rude by the owner of chains of maine oh what did very. he say dish uh i'm not saying the things because they're very bad but he may or may not have used some racial slurs in uh. front of his black employees wow cool and guy. about his black employees cool guy <laughs> so everybody sort of when this happened everybody was kind of like um i'm uncomfortable yeah this is not what we like to promote yeah so giffords is now what is used at the sea dogs and 
I think, I definitely, because th- I do think that, I think that we had Giffords and Shane's of Maine because they had, like, when I worked at the ice cream shop because, you know, you want to have a variety of flavors and not some of them, you know, one of them has cake batter, the yeah. other one has grape nut, that's right. Yeah, thing. but you don't care about their variety when one ice cream suddenly becomes a racist. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. So, but yeah, I like Giffords and I think Giffords, their little thing is like, I'm pretty sure that's on some of their signs, there's like a little girl eating ice cream. Oh, okay. Maybe that's an older thing, but I just have this. So it's been around for a long, oh, it's long been around time. for a really long time. Yeah. yeah, yeah. No, I fucking love ice cream. So I mean, anything that's sort of like homemade, local kind of oh, we should uh, just style. Eat yeah. our way around all the local made ice creams next summer. Ooh, yes. Put that on the Patreon. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Yeah, I like that. Uh, most of our ideas so far for a Patreon have been food based. <laughs> Well, okay, so, like, Maine has a lot of really good food. I don't think I mentioned it at the beginning of the episode, but one of the things I plan to do while we're we're at the Freiburg Fair is eat my way around the fair. Dude, I'm with you there. (laughs) No, I want to experience everything. Okay, so you also said when you went to Cumberland yesterday, it's like you got maple candy, maple cotton candy, what maple sauce? Uh, Emily got maple mustard. Maple mustard. <laughs> um, I, um, Allegra got maple cream and a maple coffee as well. Oh my god. Everything maple. Jeez. Yep. And I also lucked out uh, because my favorite food truck was there, which is Mac Daddy's. Oh, they yeah, do yeah. seafood and tots. <laughs> so I haven't had um, I haven't had any Giffords yet, mm-hmm. but I hear that it's super popular. A person I work with right now mentioned, uh, she said to me, uh, she actually said to me this week, it's like, oh, you do a manism on your podcast. Do you know what Giffords is? And I'm, like, <laughs> I'm like, no. <laughs> so that's kind of why I wanted to talk about it today. Now she has to listen. Yeah, now she, she has to listen. She owes you a listen because she gave you an idea. Jen, you better fucking listen to this. <laughs> I'm shouting you out. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's my manism for the day. I'm excited to try it. I'm, I'm guessing there's a blueberry ice cream that, and if it's not good... I'm going to write an angry letter. It's like, I know that you are the premier non-racist ice cream here in the state, but you can't fuck up blueberry. Please don't fuck up blueberry. I think that, uh, I think they have a bear tracks. Moose tracks is a thing. Of course, moose Um, tracks. Yeah. I had that moose tracks ice cream over in uh, Peaks Island. Was that Giffords? I think it was Giffords. That was so good. I think it was Giffords. I think it was Giffords. Was it actually Giffords? I think so. It was so fucking good. I loved it. And, like, uh, Emily got something else that was pretty good, too. I feel like there has to be, like, yeah, there has to be blueberry, has to be, you know what, I'm just gonna, like, make my own, like, lobster-based ice cream. Oh! (laughs) Not, like, lobster-based, but, like, named after the lobster. Lobster tracks. (laughs) Lobster tracks. Meaty claws. (laughs) Big meaty claws. (laughs) No, I'm not putting, although I do believe in Bar Harbor. There used to be a lobster ice cream with lobster in it. <laughs> Which um, our friend Nissa told us that when we went up to get married, uh, she said that she had it in Bar Harbor once. And how was her, what was her take on it? She wanted it again. Really? Yeah. But you're also paying market price. You're for probably paying thirty dollars for an ice cream <laughs> one scoop. <laughs> But yeah, Giffords, uh, hire me and I will make you a lobster ice cream. Yeah, get the lobster ice cream. We'll uh, set that patent up for it or whatever. And also sponsor this podcast. Yeah. I always wonder. Give us those dollars, Daddy Giffords. Are we ever going to get local sponsors? Because we do have listeners outside of Maine. So it's like, yeah, we're Maine based. But uh, I would love for Giffords or Moxie. Or mottos. I'll take anybody. At Martins. This point. <laughs> give it. Just give it to us. Roll over us, corporate sponsors. <laughs> then I can buy more. I can buy. I can buy more food. <laughs> yeah, more food, and we can pay for renting these movies. <laughs> yeah, pay for renting the movies. Did we want to announce what we're doing for our Halloween episode? Yeah, might as well. So this month's episode, we're going to be doing Pet Cemetery, and we're going to be doing a double feature. So we are going to do the original Pet Cemetery, and we are going to do the remake 
Yeah. And I'm going to do something as well that's probably ill-advised. I'm going to read the book. You are? Yeah. I'm going to read the book this month. <gasps> oh my God. I'm so fucking excited for that. Yeah. No. So I just want to get, I'm going to have to eat it up, obviously, with yeah. the time that I have. But uh, I want, because when you were talking to like Pet Cemetery, I have no experience with mm-hmm. it. So I figured that if I, I want the whole spectrum of the media that's available. And I yes. also want to compare it to the book because you were saying like, that one's more honest than the other. Yeah. I'd like to be able to get that perspective. Absolutely. That would be great because I'm, well, do I want to read it? Maybe I will. Maybe I'm I'll. Gonna, I'm going to swing I'll... by the local bookstore before I go get Emily and just get it. I can get you another copy if you want. I was going to do audio Oh, okay. <laughs> do you know how many physical books I have to read right now? I have like 10 that I bought and have not cracked into. Because... I, yeah, I just love a physical book though. I love holding the paper and just dedicating my time to it because that's how you get immersed. You know, you listen to podcasts when you're doing chores or doing other things and like, because it's like, usually it's funny. It's pretty easy to follow along. It's only an hour book i just like to sit down with you mm-hmm. know and just experience it i'm not trying to shame you <laughs> no, 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 no. Um, if you if you get it uh-huh. when you get it yeah i do not know how thick it is if it's not too thick go ahead and get me a copy but it's stephen king so it's probably gonna be <laughs> I'm, I'm trying to try i'm hoping it's gonna be like the size of skeleton key or something it's <laughs> no like it is kind not. of a paperback no is it long I think it's longer. Um, I just remember, like, the one that I always compare it to is my mom went to the book signing for Under the Dome when he did it at Magic Lantern Theater in in Bridgeton. I've seen seen Magic Lantern. I've been wanting to go to that. So, the book itself, so fucking thick. (laughs) It's so big. Actually, I'm going to look and see... Uh, how many pages it is, but it is ginormous. Stephen King is known for long, long books. It's done when it's done. Yeah. But he pumps them out fast. Holy crap. He does. He needs to share some tips with, uh, Martin. <laughs> <laughs> Under the Dome is 1,074 pages. I could probably get it in uh, three weeks. <laughs> no. Well, it's, yeah. Like, the thing is, it's also, like, my mom ended up switching to audiobook because you can't fucking hold that thing open. No, it's like a dictionary. <laughs> I remember I started reading a little bit of it, and I just had to, like, hold the cover page down to, like, make sure it didn't flip. It was... It's a thing. <laughs> is that a textbook? Nope. Just for pleasure. <laughs> yeah, really. So... Look forward to our bonus episode of Pet Cemetery, and we hope you enjoyed today's episode. And um, again, hope that if anybody's looking for these resources that we've mentioned, they're they're in the they're in the description. And uh, yeah, thanks for joining us today. Yep, today I would like to say, a don't look away, b reach out for help if you need it, and c Giffords hire me. <laughs> <laughs> That's it for today, guys. Bye-bye. My sources for today are nativewomenswilderness.com, the digital life story of Virginia Sue Picto by Native Women's Association of Canada, Maine.gov, Missing Purses and Unsolved Homicides, charlieproject.org, The Maine Beacon, The Bangor Daily News, The County, sksagepub.com, and CBC News.